What's up? What's up? Podcast world. Chad Belding back at you. Another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Again, thank you all so much for the subscriptions, the ratings, the reviews, the growth. Truly humbling. Please continue to support the partners and sponsors that support all of our properties here at The Foul Life. This Life Ain't For Everybody jargon banded. We truly appreciate it. And it's just awesome to see it. The network is growing and we are very happy with the diversity we're bringing you in guests and topics and themes, conversation. If you want something specifically, don't fr- be afraid to reach out, DM us, email us at info at thislifeaintforeverybody.com. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Mountain Ops. Check them out. Utah-based company, all of your supplemental needs. They work for the hunter, the fisher, the conservationist, the provider. They have the entire mountain mentality. So when it comes to all your supplements, your whey proteins, your proteins, your BCAAs, anything that you need for that workout, that sleep, that fast that you want to go on. They even got some green drinks that they just introduced and more coming in the near future. Mountain Ops, thank you so much. Today's guest, I'm truly honored to have him on here. I've shared duck camp with him. Um... I don't know if I would fight this guy. And I think you could tell a wrestler, if you go into a bar and you see ears that resemble vegetables, you don't mess with that guy. Is that a good analogy to make, Brent Metcalf? Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, thanks for having me. And I would say, yeah, that's a pretty pretty fair assumption. <laughs> ears, the guy, is, he's done some form of fighting. <laughs> Second guess your, your thought there. Yeah, I think that um, what what is it really, Brent? Let's get into it. Um, Iowa yeah. State wrestling coach. I, I I'm a huge. I don't know how to say it. Like I guess I have like envy because I wasn't good at it and I didn't do it enough. And then when you look back on your when you when you get to my age and even way before this point in my life, I, I probably was in my late twenties where I really started to to develop a. Uh, earning and yearning for it or like a pissed off attitude that I didn't do it. Like I really thought when I met the wrestlers in my life and their mentality and their leadership, um, the way they go about things, the way that they can be coachable, their toughness, their, their per, um, persistence and everything that goes in to the wrestlers that I know, it just seems like they have a great foundation. And I, 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 I grew up playing baseball and I have no regrets, but man, I just wish that for some reason, when I got in a little bit later in life, I just had this over this feeling come over me, Brent Metcalf, that man, I wish I would have been a wrestler. I, do you hear that a lot with kids that don't? Because you're around wrestlers all the time. But do you ever hear that people wish they would have wrestled? Um, You know, I don't know. I, I hear a lot of people say, I could never do that, you know, which is wrong because I would say most most people could do it. And by that, I mean, sure, you'd have to get really tough, but it's within the ability of anybody to wrestle, right? But you, it's whether you can overcome those mental physical hurdles uh, through, through the, the sport, you know? Um, but what is it that makes the sport that way? I think it's, it's a lot of different levels. One, it's, it's tough, right? So it's, it's mono a mono. So it's me versus you. Um, there's no bat or there's no uh, tool that you use. I mean, you're using my hands to fight against your hands. Right. So that's a very hard thing. That's very, it's kind of, you could say macho, but it's very traditional. It's very whoever is the toughest. Now, there's a lot of technique in there um, and skill that can help. So regardless of how big and strong you are, I can still manipulate manipulate your strength um, with skill, right? Think of it like anything like a karate or it's just another version of, of fighting, you know, 
But what I think is really unique, and what you touch on um, the type of people that you know that are wrestlers and how they're great leaders and they're great, they have the right at good sort of attitude and they're coachable, is because it is a humbling sport. And no matter how big and strong and tough you think you are, there's someone out there that can beat you, right? At the end of the day, and this is why I always really loved about the sport of wrestling, is that it's you and you only on the mat. So when you win, you know that you won because of the work that you put in, everything you did, right? But you also know when you lost that it was you and you only. You can't point at your coach, can't point at this or that. You can only point at yourself. And that's why I love the sport so much is I use football as a good example. It's pretty easy when you lose a football game. I know everyone's a team. It's pretty easy to say, well, if John had caught the, that last throw in the touchdown, we would have won the game, right? So to some point, you, you have built-in excuses or built-in reasons for why you may not have had success. In wrestling, it's you and you only. You're the one that gets to control the outcome. And I think that that allows you to have a lot of growth. Um, like I had said, it, it's very humbling. Um, no matter how tough you think you are um, or where you're at in your life and your career, um, there's someone that's going to unexpectedly come and beat you, you know, and you're going to have to, if you want to continue to have success, you're going to have to be able to take that loss and, you know, grow and move on from it. And it's just, it's life. Wrestling is life. Right. I, I think what I was, I think what I was, the way that I, I should have phrased it was, yeah, I, I can understand if you're, if you're, 15 years old and you go into a high school wrestling room and get on the mat and you go through a, a just a normal day of practicing you're going to be like this isn't for me this is hard this is like my heart rate's up i can't do this i'm not strong enough i don't know the maneuvers and then there's the whole cutting weight there's the whole making weight there's the whole getting you know lined up with your opponent and all and all of the rank, rankings and all that I think that if I would have went in as a five-year-old, a six-year-old and got into a wrestling club, and this is where I was going with it, Metcalf, is like if I was in there in a, in a stage in my life to where by the time I'm 10, 11, 12, I got the technique down, the foundation, the mental toughness, the, 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 everything that goes into it. I, then I think that you, that you have a better chance of making it in the sport and developing those tough traits or those tough attributes that you need to have to either be successful or at least be able to manage a loss, grow from a loss, learn from a loss and take it to the next level and maybe yeah. defend that loss or, you know, just keep your wrestling career going. I think that most people that say, I don't think I could do that. I think that they would have had a better chance of saying, yeah, I could do it if they would have been in it early. And I think it's a harder sport to go into when you're 15 to 18 and try to catch up to those kids that have been learning uh, a, a chicken wing or a, or a high crotch or an ankle pick or a double leg takedown and, and, and all of the, all of the moves. And, and it's so that the styles are so varied and you got freestyle, you got Greco Roman, you got collegiate, you have everything that you have to learn on those levels. But I just think that the earlier, the better, is that fair to say? Um, it, it all depends. That's what's so funny and unique about our sport is that I think this is a fine balance have in wrestling is we have let's just call them crazy parents and i'm sure that they're in every sport right but that get the kids involved so early and push them and then they, they compete so much and i don't really like the word burnout but the real life matter is some of the best little kids don't even make it up to high school right because they've been pushed and they've competed so much and it is a hard sport that they don't even want to do it anymore and think about the excitement that you've got to have every single day when you come to the restroom that has to come from you it can't come from dad said, I have to come to practice. So I'm here, which happens a lot when kids are young. The kid has to be excited. 
that's how you're going to get the most out of your practice. So I found that it's, there's certainly been stories where kids start with their five and they're unbelievable, but there's a way more stories of kids that start that they're five. And that's like, what happened to that guy? You know um, I think you got a good, a good mix of, I mean, here's a good example. I use the one of the, who do you think one of the greatest wrestlers we have in the United States right now is? Pick one up. Who who do you know? Who would be the best wrestler in the United States? I would say my my favorite two to watch right now are probably Burroughs and Spencer Lee. Oh, Jordan Burroughs. When did he start wrestling? Um, ninth grade. Eighth grade. Huh? Eighth grade. Eighth grade. Eighth grade. You know, so that's what's unique in that you you could and now Spencer Lee. I think Spencer's a guy who probably started when he was six, right? So you've got two of the the best guys, two completely different trajectories, right? So. I don't know if there's a prescription. I struggle with the same thing because I've, I've got kids, you know, I got three boys and mine is, uh, my oldest is seven right now. And of course in Iowa, there's a lot of crazy parents and they're like, Hey, he's wrestling. Right. And I'm like, he's not wrestling. He's not wrestling yet. And me trying to figure out what that kind of sweet spot for him is, is going to be when to introduce him to sport. Now he's obviously around it most days of his life because of me and our team and stuff. Um, but when, when the right time is to put him in, um, so that it becomes his passion and that he, again, like I said, he's going to practice excited every day. It's not me just pushing him in there. I think that's a great point. I think that that is such a good way to look at it to where if you go to a little league baseball game and you see that fanatic parent, and then you look at the, sometimes the look in the kid's eyes and you're just like, man, and I've seen it happen two times with two different stud athletes in the last two seasons where they just they're done. They're just decide not to play baseball anymore. And it might be a burnout or it might be like a way to stand up and say, look, man, I can't, I can't keep, you can't keep living through me. I can't keep living up sure. to your expectations that, and I often ask myself, like I was, I'm a competitor and I have nephews that are studs and I have brothers that were studs, right? Baseball players and athletes and yeah. academics and all that. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, I asked myself, Metcalf, like if I had a, a boy like they do, would I be that parent that was there every practice, like in their dish every day and, and making sure that, you know, that college was the next level and we got to do all these, be, you know, all these practice yeah. sessions on the side. And so I don't know. I don't think I would. I think that I have kind of pumped the brakes on that, that the, you can't, you're, it, it's going to happen. And I've learned that through talking to guys that are like, um, that are stud athletes like George Brett. He was, a, you know, who George Brett is being around yeah. the Missouri area. He, his sons all played high school football. None of them even played baseball. One of them kind of played baseball, but George was, you know, his whole life was baseball really. And he never mm -hmm. once said, Hey, you need to, he never, he tells me in the podcast, I never push my kids to do anything because I think that you get an understanding of life as you mature into it. Like, man, I don't know if I want my kids to even go through what I went through, or I don't want them to ever be let down. I was one of the few guys that made it to the major leagues. You know, this is George Brett talking. I didn't make it to the major yeah. leagues, you know, and he didn't, he, I think that you kind of get that point of view from a lot of parents too, but at a younger age, they're just like, my kid's the best. He needs to be playing all the time. He, he needs to be a four sport athlete. But I think that I just think I have a weird thought process about wrestling that it just, the kids that I knew that were in wrestling clubs and that, that continued into high school and played football and wrestled and then went on to college. And I know several that wrestled at the college level, ASU, Boise state. I don't even think Boise state has a program anymore. Do they? No, nope, I think they draw, gone. 
but I just knew that they, they, they just had something special. Now, let me ask you this with the success of MMA and the popularity of MMA. And we are going to get into this discussion about how the background of wrestling is a huge advantage in MMA. Some of the greatest fighters of all time, our favorites like Hendo and Couture or Matt Hughes, or a lot of them had wrestling backgrounds. Yeah. Do you think with the explosion of that Brent Metcalf that, that it is getting people interested in wrestling at an earlier age to, to, to get them into, to get them into a combat sport, to give them an MMA background some, some way. Um, I do believe that MMA has helped us and hurt us a little bit. Um, I think it's normalized us a little bit. So by that, I mean, just surface level, you could say that most places you'd go around the country, pick Chicago, whatever, if you want to introduce a kid to wrestling, he's going to look at the wrestlers and see the singlet and think like, oh, you know, that, that looks weird. Two guys rolling sweaty on top of each other, right? So it already starts with maybe a bad connotation about it. Um, and I think that with MMA and what they're constantly, I mean, any of the fights you talk, you watch these days, they're constantly talking about, hey, this was this guy's wrestling stat. This was his, these are the things that he did, right? So I think that that's maybe a, an entry door that's going to maybe open somebody's mind and say, Hey, I watched these really awesome MMA guys. You know, they, they wrestled. Well, I shoot, if they did it, then I, I want to try it too. You know, on the flip side, I think it could po it possibly does hurt us. And now I'm talking at the elitist level um, because now that now there's an opportunity because what sucks about wrestling is there's no pro wrestling, right? You've got your Olympics, but you know, the very best Olympians, in their career are making what a football or baseball player would make in a year, you know? Um, so there's not really a, a substantial pro element to it. Um, a lot of the, our best guys and it's, it's, has it, I thought it would happen faster, but it's not, but it's starting to creep that way are dabbling a few years after college and then going right in MMA because there's more money there. It just, it is what it is. And I think there's an appeal to it as well. Um, so, yeah, it's been double fold, but I think it's, it's, it's helped us in just making us more mainstream. If that makes sense. I think that there was a time probably when I was like, you know, five, when I was getting out of uh, high school, I remember where wrestling was really like not cool, you know, and outside of the big wrestling communities, um, the state of Iowa being one Pennsylvania being one, literally my town in Michigan and no other town. Um, it was cool. But then outside of that, it, it wasn't, and it was losing popularity. So I do think it did help us there. Some people are going to ask, like, who, who are you to tell us all of this stuff? And I probably need to introduce you in a way of making sure that my audience understands how, how strong you are in your credibility in this space, because... I, you know, I know what you've done because I've, you know, I went and dissected it and I've been a wrestling fan my whole life. So I kind of have more of an understanding. And sometimes I tend to jump the gun because I'm, I get so excited to talk about like my next question would automatically be, well, would you take a wrestler that has good hands and can get on you and ground and pound and also tie you up against somebody that's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy that can use his body and his body weight to beat the biggest guys, no matter how big they are? There's a lot of argument in that, like the Royce Gracie days yeah. against like uh, a Dan Severn, when, you know, and Dan Severn's wrestling career and at ASU and all that, like. Hoist Gracie beat him and, and Dan Severn beat him. So like it was a like there there's a good argument there. But Brett Metcalf, were you one of the guys that was five year old, five year old in a singlet winning a bunch of plaques and trophies to bring to your dad and mom's house? Um, no. 
I was close. I started when I was like eight going on nine years old and how I started no one in my family wrestled. I didn't even know what it was. I picked a flyer up off the ground that had a picture on it, like a really strong buff guy. I thought that the picture looked really cool. Didn't know what it was. So I picked it up and I said, mom, dad, let me try this. And after two weeks, we pretty much stopped everything else we were doing at the time and went full bore wrestling for the rest of my life. Who was the guy? Was it Gable? No, it was a picture. So, uh, Mark, you know, like a Martian, like a, oh, uh, just a buff cartoon looking character. Yeah. Someone had drawn like a, like they literally had like a helmet on and like a singlet and it just looked like a cool cartoon. Like, I don't know. I just picked it up. I was like, that's sweet. Let's try whatever this is. So were you, were you, uh, were you elevated right away? Did you have something that when you stepped in there at eight or nine, that you became very good, very fast, or was it a big time learning curve for you? Uh, I would say I was probably really good, really fast. And I think it's a lot of different reasons, maybe why. I mean, I did a lot of different sports, so I was certainly athletic. Um, but I was also just really fortunate that the club in my community that we had, and this is something I was going to talk about earlier, as far as something that you said, well, you wish you would have tried. Well, that opportunity isn't there for a lot of kids, right? So even if you wanted to, let's say your community had no wrestling, you couldn't have done it. Or let's say the wrestling coach in your community was just a fat guy that also teaches football and baseball and all the other sports he doesn't know anything about. Right. Um, that is another barrier to entry. So but either way, when we started, I, we had one of the best kids clubs in the state of Michigan. And I didn't know that I just happened to be where I lived. So out of that kids club, when my age group, we had three NCAA champions from uh, just little peewees. So three of us came out of that club and won national titles later on in life. Right. Wow. Now, that to me is ironic, right? That you just happen to have three guys that were all just there and started young. It also, we probably pushed each other, right? Um, so that was another element. But I think that I had good coaches. I mean, even looking back and what I know now, they were teaching really good fundamentals, just good basic wrestling to us at that time, um, which I think is a good way to start kids, you know, start with basic stuff and get them like anything else, you know, teach them the fundamentals, get good at these things. Then we can start expanding off of there. So I would say as far as my career, my first year I wrestled, I, I was third in the state. My second year I wrestled, I did not place in the state. Then my third year I won the state tournament and then I won every state tournament until I got to high school. So, so this is, this starts at somewhere around second grade, second, third grade, you start to wrestle. They have, there's tournaments, there's state tournaments in, in, in Michigan for, for elementary school kids. There are national tournaments for four and five year olds. Back then there were two. Oh, so I, I don't know about back then because I, I, I don't, I'm, I imagine the close. So my third year of wrestling is the first year I started to go to national tournaments. So yes, but when I was eight, um, that at least it, what it was at the time was eight and under was the, the, the age bracket. So I started when I was eight going on nine. So that first year I probably fit into the eight and then it was nine and 10. I was the lower bracket, you know, the lower age of my, on my second year. So, so were you just abnormally gifted in strength at, at, at the size that you were at an eight, nine, 10 year older that you were throwing kids around and get having your way with them? Or the second year you go in there and you don't place, were you getting thrown around and trying to adapt to it? What did you have to place third? Then what happened where you didn't place? And then how do you come back? Yeah. I mean, obviously you start getting better with technique and practicing, but were yeah. you always abnormally strong? I, I don't know. I mean, I was always pretty good at most sports. So 
I don't know if that's strength or what. I'm not a very big guy. You know, my, since I was a sophomore in high school, I've weighed 150 pounds, right? Those, that's the weight class I wrestled. 145, my sophomore, my junior year in high school, and my last competition in 2016 was 143 pounds. I'm 5'6". So, um, I mean, I don't know. I, I would say I'm just pretty average, not very tall, short guy. Um, but I, I think I was good at other sports. I don't know. I, I was doing BMX at the time, actually. So I was ranked nationally. I was like third in the country in BMX races. So your core strength's there. Your balance is probably, there. Your equilibrium's yeah, there. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you BMX motocross, that's some of, like they say, I've, I've had guys on this podcast tell me that, that motocross racers are the best athletes in the world with what they do with their bodies, their strength, their yeah, heart rate up for so long. Um, but again, there's arguments behind that uh, obviously too, but so you, 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 you have something special. You're gifted in, in, in athletics is, is pretty much what it is, but you go into wrestling, you just have this tenacity probably that you are, you're finding a way to win. You're beating some kids. You're probably getting beat by other kids that have been doing it a little bit longer than you yeah. have the upper advantage on technique. As you start to get into your fifth, sixth, seventh and middle school years, you start to gain this technique. So you're saying that once you become a freshman in high school, which which I would say across most of the part of the country is where people really start to ha see wrestling for the first time, you know, when they go to yeah. the high school level, because out here, you know, there's might be one club in, in the whole area for anybody to become yeah. a part of, you know, like there's not every, every high school out here has a summer baseball team, but they don't all have wrestling programs. I think there's more lacrosse programs here, you know, lacrosse clubs than there are, yeah. than there are wrestling clubs. So, so once you get to your ninth grade year, Brent, are you, did you win the state championship every year in high school too? Yeah, I was undefeated and won four state titles. Wow. See like, and now this is in a state of Michigan, which is a, is, is, is Michigan, is it considered a wrestling state? Like I know that Pennsylvania say, is, I know that Iowa is. Uh, it's probably second tier. Michigan's, which would be fair. So your top tier is going to be like Ohio, Pennsylvania, Iowa, um, maybe California. There, but there's let's say there's three or four of your definitely very very best. And then I would say Michigan kind of files in right behind. Those guys. So you're walking around at the weight you're wrestling, or are you cutting to get to your high school weight of around 140 in to high one? school? I wrestled 145. I weighed 150. Okay. So how much of this is an advantage to a wrestler? How detrimental is cutting weight for a wrestler or any kind of combat sports that you got to spend a lot of yeah. your focus on the cut and you you're walking around five pounds heavy. You're concentrating on technique and just rolling because you know, yeah. you're going to make weight easy. How, how important is that to the overall success of a wrestler with the cutting of the weight? Um, it, again, it's a tough thing um, on how you want to manage it. So Throughout my career, I didn't have to cut any weight because I could just, you know, I could wrestle whatever weight I wanted to go. Right. Um, so it didn't require me to, there's certainly, there's guys that need to, right. Where they can't make the lineup or, you know, there's a lot of arguments for why guys do cut weight. My general belief and philosophy is wrestle where you feel really good and strong. Right. And that, that doesn't mean bump up a weight class or anything like that, but just wrestle the way yeah, I see it. So many times guys are cutting so much weight that they feel like trash and they can't even, if you can't get through practice, like if you had a bad practice and you came to me and said, coach, it's because my weight cut, I feel crappy. Well then stop cutting weight. Cause if you can't practice, I, I mean, how you expect to get better? Like what are, what are we here for? Are we here to cut weight? Or are we here to get better at wrestling? 
let's find the balance between the two. So what we use for our college guys is like six, seven pounds is usually the rule. So by that, I mean, whatever weight that you're going to wrestle, you should be over six or seven pounds of that weight walking into practice. So the philosophy real quick behind that, just to maybe give a brief explanation would be, I come into practice at six pounds over. Um, after my warm up, I'm probably going to be about four pounds over my weight class, right? So after your warm up, your skills and stuff, you usually lose a pound and a half to two pounds. Now we start wrestling live in practice. So every day when you're wrestling live in practice, you're about four pounds overweight. Okay. So you're training at four pounds over your weight class. So when you make weight in college, we have, um, depending on how it is, but generally a one hour weigh in, sometimes a two hour weigh in. How many, how much weight do you think someone could put on in a one hour weigh in? Put on or lose? Put on. So we make weight. All right. So you and I, we make weight. I, I would say, I would say at the most, a quarter of a pound to a half a pound. In an hour? Yeah. You something, right? Huh? Uh, you make weight, then you're going to drink something, you're going to eat something, and then you're going to go out and wrestle. So you, you get what I'm saying here? Yeah. And at 9 a.m. and we're going to wrestle at 10 a.m. So you're going to put on weight because you're not going to, you're going to feed yourself, right? Yeah, but are you going to feed yourself enough to gain a substantial amount of weight? You're going to feed yourself to, to gain three or four pounds, yeah. In an hour, that, that doesn't inhibit you from be, having a good performance to eat that much that fast? Mm-hmm. You ever try, I mean, you finish a workout and like you drink a, a Gatorade or water. Yeah. So how much, how much weight do you gain? So I would say three or four pounds. So the, the philosophy is every day that you're training, what that three or four pounds overweight live in practice is the exact same weight that you will weigh when you're wrestling in your competition. Right. So if you got an hour, you got an hour after weighing, you could guess I could probably put on three, four pounds and that's about what I'm going to weigh. Right. So we need to be training at that weight every single day. So that's kind of the philosophy behind front how we like to do it. So how do we get there? If a guy's 15 pounds overweight, well, you got to get your body weight down. Right. You got to get it. We got to have a goal and say, you're 15 over, you need to start coming in at seven over. All right. Well, usually what does they say about a pound or two a week? So we got to work, you know, work that body down so that you start coming in and then you you hold that through the whole season, you know. What will happen actually is if you're really good with it, disciplined with it, you're actually going to start losing more weight than what you want. And you'll actually end up eating a lot more. So after practices, you're going to end up eating more than what you're accustomed to to try to keep your weight on so that you don't keep sinking down to where, you know, you're, you're, you're coming into practice at two pounds. Old. Well, that doesn't do you a whole lot of good because now you're under weight training. Does that make sense? hundred percent. So you're saying, so does, is, are there reputations out there of other programs or what, things that you've heard in your past or your history in wrestling, Brent, that that guys are cutting way too much weight and it affects them physically, mentally, psychologically, and it could inhibit you know them health-wise for the future? And that is why you guys at Iowa State and the coaching staff there, or is that a national thought of an ideology of six pounds for you know maximum? I think, uh... I think that the, the idea or philosophies behind cutting weight is a problem in the sport of wrestling pretty much up until college, pretty much. So it doesn't matter where a kid comes from. Most guys that come into our program do not understand the correct way to cut weight. And you can put that on their coaches, their parents. It's just a lack of education. You know, I remember when I was growing up, we didn't know what we were doing. I remember the first national tournament we went to, and when you're young, it's hard to cut weight. You know, little kids don't really lose weight. 
I remember like taking pee pills and poop pills and all these different things that people said were, Hey, that's how you're going to lose the extra couple pounds to get down, you know? And these are just horrible suggestions. So it's, it's, especially in young kids, it's a really big thing and it's a bad thing, right? So it's a really big thing that these, we're talking about these five, six year old national level tournaments. People are cutting, these kids are cutting weight, you know, even the seven, eight, they're cutting a lot of weight. I, I mean, I've walked into some of these kids' practices. These kids look like they're going to die at practice because they're cut weight, you know? Um, so do you just want to grab their parents and shake them or is it their coach's fault or is it a combination it's both. of both? It's, it's all three. I mean, there's probably go around everybody, you know, and the kids bought in too because the kid got his butt kicked at the last time he wrestled. And he thought, well, if I go down to the next weight class, I got a better shot down there. Well, maybe you do, but you know, maybe you don't cause you're going to feel like trash too, you know? Um, so as far as, you know, let's bring it back up to the college level. I would say that most college coaches understand the right way to do it. Um, and I don't, I wouldn't say that's a problem by any means like that or anything like that. Um, I think that at the end of the day, what it comes down to is now getting your 25 athletes that you have on your team or 10. All right. So we've got 10 starting line, getting all 10 to buy in and do it and do it right. Right. So you've got, so as far as different programs go, and I'm not going to judge whether our, you know, we certainly have had our own share of guys who don't do it right, you know, but it's something that you can glaringly see throughout a season when I wouldn't say a whole program necessarily does it, but you can see individuals like, all right, if that guy notoriously gets really tired and he notoriously um, is winning matches and loses a lot of that times just because he's not cutting his weight. Right. You know, and again, you could put that on the coach, on the individual athlete. There's a lot of things to go around. But that becomes a huge difference maker when it comes to college is how right you can do it. Because we only got one hour away in. In most places you go, there's wiggle room because those kids' tournaments, you know, maybe they got two-hour weigh-ins. Sometimes they have overnight weigh-ins. They're weighing in the night before. So, yeah, I mean, generally most kids can kind of recover an overnight weigh-in. Um, but one hour weigh-in, you see really fast which guys are doing it right and which guys are doing it wrong. Makes because total sense. Operate when, when you don't have the juice, you know? Um, so, there. so you, every, every high school season you're winning. And then when the high school season's over, are you traveling to Vegas and Reno, Nevada for the TOCs of the tournament of champions? Are you going to these big time national tournaments and still getting the same success against competition across the country? Um, Yep. Yeah. Yeah, generally, yeah. So when I was, there's a lot more opportunities now, like big national level tournaments. Um, when I was in high school, we essentially had your high school season. And then after your high school season, you had a freestyle season, which had like um, junior duels, which is like where states compete with each other in a dual meet format. And then it all leads up to Fargo, which is the big uh, freestyle national tournament. So I won Fargo seven times of like, what eight seven out of eight and that's the biggest freestyle tournament in the country for kids that are yeah. seniors or younger that haven't been to college yet yeah high school age yep because the tocs has college athletes in it too right is that right or is it just high school also no i'm not sure what what you're talking about tournament champions there's a bunch of different tournaments yeah, I did. so you never came to reno for the big wrestling tournament here uh, called that's the tocs a that's, that's a what that'd be a kids tournament yep that'd be 
Probably uh, under high school. Under high school, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're winning across the country. So now you get into your senior year. You're undefeated. You've won the Fargo every time you've entered it pretty much. You've, you're undefeated through your high school career. Are you also undefeated in your summer freestyle tournaments too? Uh, pretty much? Yeah, yeah. Yep. I, yeah, I pretty much trying to remember my record. I'd, I'd hate for someone to jump up and say, hey, I beat you. But um, – yeah, I pretty much had, had won all, all throughout high school. Wow. A lot of losing going on. I know early on, like my freshman, sophomore year, um, so they, they there's different age levels. So it's cadet and then junior. So junior would be the kids that are like seniors and juniors in high school. Cadets would be sophomore, freshman, just to make it simple. Okay. I was a sophomore, freshman. I would wrestle the junior level competitions. So I, I definitely took some losses at that during during that earlier period. But my junior and senior year, I didn't until uh, after my senior year, senior nationals, I did lose in the finals to like an arch rival of mine that we had wrestled our senior year. Uh, it kind of went, went big on the Internet and uh, I ended up winning during the high school season. Uh, but then after season was over, we wrestled in another side tournament. He ended up in the beat. Did you ever wrestle him again after that side tournament? I did. Yeah. He actually went on to win the NCAA championships, his true freshman year in college while I was redshirting. And then long story short, I ended up transferring to Iowa, him and I wrestled in the big 10 finals and I won that. Okay. So you're, you're a senior in high school now. What's, what's showing up in the mailbox as far as recruiting letters, what's the interest level like for Brent Metcalf? Is it, is it insanity? Like you hear about in some sports is with that record, I would think that every major college program from, and I, and this is, I'm just saying them from today, but from the Dakotas and the Iowa's, the Pennsylvania's, the Minnesota's, the Oklahoma States, the Oklahoma. Um, are you getting it from every angle now? As are you like a prodigy that everybody wants with that kind of a record in your talent level? Um. Yeah, I think it was kind of a unique thing. So I had an older brother uh, who was very, very good as well. Um, well, wait he, a minute. Before you go on with that, did you was he wrestling when you decided to go into it when you were a young kid when you were a, when you were a bike no, racer? I started. You started, started first. Okay. He was playing basketball and same thing. I started coming home with all these fancy moves and whooping up on him <laughs> basketball after two weeks. And he started wrestling. And then we were all in after that. You, you can't know, I, blame him. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, he was really good. So he actually was wrestling at the university of Michigan. So the recruiting process, certainly, I was hit up from every school. Actually, I kind of joke with John Smith, who's the head coach at Oklahoma State now. He didn't recruit me. So I kind of give him a hard time about not recruiting me. But outside of that, yeah, it was pretty much um, most places. But it wasn't craziness because I think a lot of programs thought I was just going to go to the University of Michigan because my brother was there and I had a great relationship with them there. And it was just kind of ironic that for whatever reason, I just wanted to leave the state. I wanted to do something different. So my, my mind the entire time for no reason, but nothing against Michigan. I just, something in my head was like, ah, I'm going to go do something different for fun. So it wasn't chaos. Like maybe it could have been, you know, had, cause I had coaches that would call and say, Hey, I know your brother's at Michigan. You're probably going to go there, but you know, uh, just so you know, we, we are interested in you, you know, if that makes sense. Um, so, so yeah, I had a lot of options and 
kind of whittled them down. And so take us down that road. What what happens? Are 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 the coaches coming and watching you? Is are they coming to on national uh, letter of intent signing day? Do you have a big little gala there at the high school and 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 and, and, and a singlet laid out over the table <laughs> with a hat? How how does it go? How take me after your senior year when you start to get into your you know call, signing for your college? Yeah. So you sign. We sign uh, our, our junior. Well, let's just say it, your senior, um, the fall. So we signed really early before your senior season actually happens. Um, basically I had, I had broke it down to five different schools. Let's see. My schools were Michigan, Arizona state, um, Virginia tech, Oklahoma, and Missouri. Those are the ones I had gotten it down to. And when, when I was going through, I basically, I just judged off of coaches relationships. So where I ended up choosing to go to school, which was Virginia Tech, was definitely the worst program in the entire country. But I did it off relationships and, and how I felt the coach was going to help me. I was less concerned about how much gear they had or, you know, how, how cool their program was. You know, I, that's just kind of how I was wired. And I felt that the, the coach is what was going to push me on a day-to-day basis, right? Regardless of who my partners were, I knew if I had a coach that hold me accountable, that I would get to where I wanted to be. Um, so yeah, I, I went on four of my visits after my visit to Virginia tech. Um, I kind of knew I was going there. So I called the last coach and told him I wasn't coming on the visit because I don't want to waste his time. Um, and just kind of made my decision. Then it was a different world though. You know, like we didn't have Twitter and social media. We didn't like announcements weren't made, um, publicly like that. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Basically I just called the coaches up and let them know like, Hey, I'm not going to go to your school. And I called the Virginia tech coach and said, Hey, I'm coming to your school. And then that was, that was the, it, that was all, you know, you don't have what more or less is like a, a damn production these days yeah. um, kids to make their announcement and dwindle it down to the final two and stuff. You know, that, that wasn't, as far as I knew, that wasn't really a thing back then. So we had like a signing, if I remember correctly, um, you know, like, or like your high school. Indicated. Okay, so is the local paper there taking pictures, and you're on the front yeah. page that local stud is is going to Virginia Tech, and and yeah, then something like that. Then did the haters come out locally and say, "What the hell, Metcalf? Your brother's right here. He's a Wolverine, and you're dissing us like this." No, nah, I didn't get too much hate. Although I did have a funny story. Um, so Tom Brands, who was the the coach at Virginia Tech, who recruited me to go to school there, um, he was at my house, and I don't remember why I was for some reason I wasn't at the house. Maybe he beat me there or something. He was just coming to see me and I was driving and I was speeding and I got pulled over by a cop and I pull into, um, pull into my driveway. Cause I was just almost home and he pulls in behind me and he's talking to me and he, he asked for my license. I give him my license. And the first thing the cop says, he goes, Oh, Metcalf. He goes, why are you going to Virginia? <laughs> why wouldn't you go to some school like Iowa? You know? And I was, I was, uh, uh, and I'm, and I look up and Tom Brands is walking down the driveway at me. And I'm like, well, uh, you asked my coach. <laughs> There's my coach right there. <laughs> and then the funny story is I end up in Iowa at the, at the end of the day. So tell me how that happens after Virginia, after you get to Virginia, down to Virginia, what happens with the program there? Was this, did you figure out something? Was it a transfer of a coach or how did it roll? Yeah, it was the head coach. So year one that, I mean, again, there's a whole lot of story here, but um, Tom Brands was kind of an Iowa legend, right? Product Gable. And he took that, uh, that job at Virginia Tech. 
So I went to school there and a whole bunch of us, a bunch of Iowa kids went to school there. Um, there was no one ranked recruiting class. I went to Virginia Tech, who was the last late pro ranked program in the country. And after one year, not even one year, because we hadn't even finished our first year yet, he had got the job offered to come back to Iowa, essentially. And you right? can't say no to that. No, you can't blame him for that, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, he had he had taken that job and we all went to obviously to that school for that coach. So we all transferred and, and ended up at Iowa anyways. So. so so you made mention that the kid that you lost to in the senior finals or the senior um, in the tournament was yeah, – yeah. He becomes a re- uh, he becomes a true freshman NCAA champion. You redshirted at Virginia Tech. Yep. Why is this? Is it because there was somebody there, or did you know that you were? Did you have yeah. to sit out? Did you have to sit out another year when you transferred to Iowa? Yeah, now I, could, I I I would have to tease uh, my coach at the time. So part of my when I was recruited, part of the stipulation was that if I can make the team, I get to make the team or I get to start right. Because again, like I I, I believed in myself. I thought I could win the nationals right off the bat, right? Um, and when I got to, to campus, like being a college coach now, usually you want to redshirt you guys, because especially when you got a team like that, you want to stack up your classes together, you know? Um, so when I got to campus, the coach was like, ah, yeah, listen, you ain't wrestling. You're redshirt. <laughs> really? What? So, <laughs> no, there was never a tryout for that team. So it was, I, I, I jokingly say he lied to me about you know whether I was going to so when you, when you see brands these days, you still mess with them quite a bit on that. But now when you leave to come into Iowa with brands, do you have to redshirt again with the NCAA collegiate transfer? Uh, I did lose a year eligibility. So it's not a redshirt. It's just you lost your eligibility, which means. So, so now you're a sophomore when you get to. Yeah. So I only had three years eligible. Sophomore, junior, senior season's ready now. So now yes. take me through this. This is, this is big time now. This is like where college wrestling has its, I would say it's national backbone and it's national history. I would think, you know, as far as I think the, the, it, you know, like the, the armchair quarterback or the armchair enthusiast like myself, I think of Iowa I think of Dan Gable. I think of the stories, the relentlessness, the the whole mentality of him. All right. This is I think that Iowa is probably what most of America's wrestling has been built on, or at least the tradition of it, what most people know. That might be immature or premature to say. I just I'm just assuming because of the history of Dan Gable and the Iowa mm-hmm. Hawkeye wrestling program. Now this is a huge thing for you. Um, why do you th- at this time is Iowa a national powerhouse? Um, Iowa is down and by down, I mean, I think that they had placed eighth and then second. So what, what was the reason coming out of high school in Michigan for Brent Metcalf that you didn't get recruited or did you buy Iowa and it just wasn't one of your final five? I did. And, um, again, remember I, I chose, I made my choices by the coaches that I have the coaches and Jimmy Zaleski, who was the coach at the time, who I, I actually know him really well now. He's a great guy. Just when he recruited me, I just, I, it just, for whatever reason, it didn't, it spark so, me. So what was your relationship with like at ASU? How did you know the coach there? Or why did you narrow well, it down? So yeah, everyone kind of had a different connection. So Arizona State, I had grown up with their assistant coach. Um, I had grown up with his family. Okay. So he was from Michigan. Yeah. Right. So I just had a connection with that coach already. 
Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it's, I, I get it. it it's it, it, let me compare it to something a little bit more useful in my everyday life, Brent Metcalf. I only go to sushi bars that I have a relationship with. I think you get treated a lot better by the chefs. They take better yeah. care of you. You get their yeah. special roles. You don't have to just order off the menu. They call you yeah. by your name. You know what I'm saying? It's you, you got yeah. that. Yeah. You have that. That you you got that fuzzy feeling when you're in there. So now you're at Iowa. This is the cream of the crop. This is like every yeah. kid's dream to be in an Iowa Hawkeye. Obviously, you're there for different reasons you could have gone there you just chose not to because they were down at the time or you didn't have a relationship with zaleski is that his name yeah, yeah okay so now you get there now you do have a relationship with the same coach the reason why you went to virginia tech is it a completely different mentality than you were experiencing your freshman year was it way different than high school and all of your your career was so far was, was it just like man this is like this is iowa um, as far as the room goes, no. So nothing was different between, because it's the same coach, right? So the, the approach, um, that we had at Virginia tech and the way that practices were run, everything's all the same. Uh, the level, your partners were maybe a little bit better because they had a little more depth at the time, but I was a hammer too. So I just, I came, I came in and hit the ground running and swinging per se. Right. Um, so what was mind opening to me though, was the culture of Iowa wrestling, right? And and not just to say the University of Iowa, but just the entire state in general is to listen or to, to be in that environment where these people love wrestling more than anything on the face of the earth. And it was so different than what I grew up on, obviously different than Virginia Tech, but that was something that was unbelievable to me and that I fell in love with. And the reason why I'm still here in this state, well, generally, is because the passion these people have for the sport of wrestling, no matter where you go, whether you're having breakfast at the local diner or you're just bumping into people, people know who you are. And it's not about being popular or celebrity, but it's still cool. It's, it's cool to feel appreciated. It's cool. And I explained this to our guys, you know, when you're training and you're going through all that hard work, um, you need to tap into some resources to motivate you. And to me, it's really motivating to know that every day when I walk into my local diner and have breakfast, that that guy's paying attention to what I do as an athlete. Okay. And he's going to essentially hold me accountable. Okay. So that's motivating that I know that old Johnny up at the, at the cook and bake there is watching me and he's, he's going to evaluate my performance, you know? So that's something that, that I just loved was just how much just the state of Iowa loved loved wrestling and they appreciated you. And that's something really fun um, to wrestle in. It's a fun environment to live in. You know, do you remember your first dual Brent as an Iowa Hawkeye? Oh, shoot. How does this stuff not stick in your head, dude? You're a freaking Iowa. Like how do you, do you remember any, any of your matches or are you so, do they become no, so monotonous? Do they become so like every day to you because you're always wrestling at such a high caliber that it's hard for you to think back and pick them apart and analyze them? Or would you need to go back to the tape to do that? Um, I would definitely need to go back to tape for some of them. I have ones that stick out, but the way that I was wired so good, bad, or different. The way that I was wired was always looking forward, always looking forward, right? So I was a college athlete. When I stepped on campus, I didn't necessarily revel in my first college duel, right? Because my goal was not to wrestle in an Iowa singlet in front of an Iowa crowd. So that moment was not maybe something, whether that's wrong, maybe I should have, right? that moment wasn't something I looked forward to my entire life, right? 
the moment that I looked forward to my entire life was being an NCAA champion. Okay. So that's the moment that sticks with me. Okay. And I had moments and matches that stuck with me, but to me, that was part of the process. Now, do I remember those duels? Yeah. And could you pull up, remember this first match? Boom. It come right back. But that's maybe how I would evaluate why I can't tell you right now what my first duel was is because my Makes first total business, sense. business, just business as usual, man. Going to whoops. Did, you win, did you win it? Yeah, I won every match. So take me through, take me through those three years now, but kind of go slow. I want a, a little bit of detail. Like now you're a sophomore. You've never wrestled in the state of Iowa. You're this kid from Michigan, but you're there because the coach brought you. He recruited you w real quick though. Tell me. What was the connection to Tom before you signed with Virginia Tech, before we go on to the Iowa days? Uh, yeah, again, I, each one had its own little story. So when I was young, um, probably nine, ten years, ten, maybe my third or fourth year into wrestling, uh, my high school coach, whose name was Roy Hall, he he would, my parents would pay him, I don't know, I would say a hundred bucks to come over and just do individual lessons with us, right, at home. And the first day he walked in, he took a video, which was VHS at the time, dude. No DVDs, okay? VHS. Hey, what's a DVD? Yeah, <laughs> I think exactly. those are even obsolete now, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. I know. These were finger to it. You want to find yeah. it, you twist your fingers. So he put a VHS in of Tom and Terry Brands, which two twin brothers, and Tom was, was the coach. And he put it in and played it, and it went for 30, 40 minutes, I remember. And after he got done, he said, you guys want to be the best at wrestling? You're going to wrestle like that. And he would play it every time he'd come over. We'd watch more of it. We'd watch more of it. So my foundation of my wrestling was built on the philosophy of these two guys. Wow, that's cool. You know, Because, again, there's no social media. There's hardly even magazines. So I don't even know who these people are. I don't even know who Dan Gable is. Right? All I know is I'm just some kid that I, a coach put a person in front of me and said, wrestle like this. You see what they do? You wrestle like that. You see that intensity? That's how we wrestle. So every time I wrestle and if I lose or win or whatever, I'm evaluating myself on this film that I watched, which I couldn't even tell you what the film was, you know, but I remember the intensity. I remember the pace. I remember like you continue to score points, you know, those sorts of philosophies were just driven into me as a very, very young age. And what, what was it about the, 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 when the video's playing, what's going through your head? Is it like, whoa, those guys are like on a different level of mean? Were they, was their technique like perfected? What did they have? Was it the, just the intensity or was it just like, wow, those dudes can, they just, their technique was perfect. They're throwing each other around. Their, their shots are awesome. Like what, what gravit, what gravitated you towards that? It would be the intensity. It would be, wow, that looks fun. Right. And it's sick. Again, wrestling's kind of a sick sport. Right. So you got to get off on being able to whoop someone at someone's ass. Right. Yeah. As much as it's not a hand fighting contest, like you got to really enjoy punishing someone. Right. You have to like that. I have to like that. You and I can go toe to toe and I can basically I'm going to make you cry. Right. Legally. Right. So, again, we're not punching each other, but on those terms, as far as mentality goes. Okay. And that's what I loved. I loved the fight and I loved, again, not punching, but I loved the fight and I loved to completely humiliate someone as far as within the rules of our sport. I loved it. It made me feel good. It made me feel powerful. Right. So I love that. And then 
match is over. Now we can respect each other and shake hands and walk off. Right. You don't have to be a jackass or anything, but that's when I say, you gotta be sick a little bit. The, some of the best wrestlers, you gotta be a little sick in the head. So, you know? but, but sick in the head a little bit, but, but you, you're like this on the mat, you humiliated dudes, beat his ass, shake his hand. They raise your arm. The crowd goes crazy. They cheer for you. Do you walk off? Are you doing this on the playground? Are you disrespecting kids and using your ability and strength or is wrestling teaching you at a young age, that respect of to, uh, to, to not no, let it come it, out? It's teaching you that respect because absolutely not. You don't pick on people. Are you kidding me? That's what I've always seen in wrestlers. Yeah, no. It teaches you that because in, in a flip of an eye, you can think you're pretty tough, and then the opposite happens to you. And you know what? You got to stand there and look at that guy in the eye and let his hand get raised. And then you need to walk off that mat without throwing a fit and wipe your tears off and go back to battle again because the tournament isn't over yet. You got to go try again, right? So that's where we started with this, you know, as far as how it's the ultimate humbling sport is no matter how tough you think you are, there's always someone that can bring you back down. You're, everyone's going to have moments in their life where they're brought back down. So no, I, I would almost guarantee that mo most wrestlers um, are, are not going to be the guys that are bullies. Okay. Um, think of it a way. It's funny. It's, it's hard. When you think of wrestling and basketball, you don't think that they're anything alike. Right. But when you read quotes from Michael Jordan, his mentality and the way that he talks about what he wanted to do. Now his way of dominating and his way of embarrassing people was by making baskets, right? Our way of doing it, just, we happened to use our, but hand. he learned how to be a champion through failure, but you listen to his quotes and he's dead on, you know, as far as my mentality, as far as when I, when you read it, you're like, yeah, you think that guy could have been a wrestler. Could have been. Yeah. You know, he gets it. He gets how to separate himself from people. You know, so you're you you are in an Iowa Hawkeye singlet. Your first duel. I'm going to assume that you won. Okay, I did. So what 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 does it look like at the end of that sophomore year, which is theoretically your first year mm -hmm. in college wrestling? You're in an NCAA Division One powerhouse of Iowa, which would later on yeah. you, you know become a powerhouse again, and it's had its ups and downs like every school does. But yeah. what what where do you stand at the end of your your sophomore year? I won the national title in 2008. Yeah. <laughs> so now this, does this drive you nuts even more now that they looked at you when you walked on the campus at Virginia tech and say, Brett Metcalf, you're red shirt. And because your goal was to win it as a freshman. Now that kid that beat you in Michigan is a senior and you guys went back and forth. You ended up beating him later on in your career, but now does yeah. he have one up on you because he's a, he's a true freshman NCAA champion. No, cause I beat him that year. We wrestled that year. Of your, of your sophomore year? Yep. We wrestled in the Big Ten Finals. So, so as he's a champ, he's defending his champion. He comes into the Big Ten, the Big Ten Finals. And it, uh, I don't know if you told me or if I forgot. I apologize if I did. Who's he wrestling for? Minnesota. Okay, you didn't tell me. So he's a gopher. Yeah. He comes into yeah. the Big Ten Finals, which is probably as big as the NCAAs in many ways. I don't know if that's yeah. it's kind of fair to say because there are tournaments. It's like in duck calling. You're a duck hunter. You're a hunter. If you go to Stuttgart at the World Championships every Thanksgiving weekend at the World Duck Calling Championships, but you get there a day earlier and you watch the Arkansas State Championship, you're like, wow, that might as well just be yeah. the World Championship, right? Because that's where all the studs yeah. live, right? And, but, but there has. It's yep. weird because there, there are 
in the history of duck calling, a correlation that you and I share is that there are champions from the state of Iowa. Bernie Boyle, Barney Califf. Barney Califf won the World Duck Calling Championship yeah. on three different calls. So, like, Iowa's the other powerhouse in duck calling, which you would never expect that, but it oh, is. Really? Yeah, so, but there are yeah. other states. Like, Louisiana's up. Anyway, but back to wrestling. You face this kid. He's coming in to defend his title as an NCAA champion. And I'm I'm just picturing him like, oh, it's not this SOB again. Now he's got Brent Metcalf in his headlights again. He's got to get through Brent Metcalf to go to the NCAAs, or does he automatically qualify there for the NCAAs being a champion? How does that work? Top seven So he goes into the NCAAs yeah. his sophomore year after winning it his true freshman year. He goes in there now already getting beaten the Big Tens by his nemesis. You, yeah, nemesis since so uh, that's another story, but that's nemesis since we were children. Since your so kids, wow, what a story, man! Brother, same age as my older brother. And every national tournament we went to, we butted heads. I would wrestle Dustin, his my brother would wrestle CP. We just, as we grew up, you know, we we matched each other every time we went left the state. It seemed like so, and he won most of those. I'll give him that. He won when we were kids. He won. Do you still talk to this guy? Uh, no, I mean, I I don't even have his phone number or anything like you that. Know. So you, so freshman say, year, say hi, I think we'd be we'd be good. You'd be cool. We're grown adults. NCAA champion your sophomore year of college probably would have been a freshman champion if 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 you didn't wretch who knows so now you go into what happens in between is it is there a is there a freestyle tournament for collegians that you start traveling yep. now right away and what do you do in the summer in between your sophomore yep. and junior year so that's oh wait so that's actually the Olympic trials so I wrestled in the Olympic trials that year um I maybe went uh, what, what I maybe went like two and two or something like that. So I was, when I was young or I just call it young, but when I was in college, I was wrestling and trying to compete at the world Olympic level, you know? So to me and how I looked at it was like, that was my, that was my uh, thing that would bring me back down. Right. It would remind me. So that first year um, I had one loss all that first year, but it would, you know, the minute you think you're the man, so you went your first year into college, you win the national title and you think you're the man, right? Well, now you're going to wrestle at this next level and you can't even place, you know? So that, that's kind of how I looked at it. It was like, Hey, this was my bar, right? I'm, I'm going to set my bar way up here. And to me in the, how, you know, how I believed that the higher I set that bar, the farther I would get myself. This is a very humbling experience for many athletes in the country, in many sports, right? Brent Metcalf of, you are a big fish in a small pond. You get recruited, you get to that bigger pond and all of a sudden you get humbled in a hurry. And I've seen it happen in baseball, football to where they get to that next level and they get lost because they're not used to even having anybody remotely close to their talent level. So they're either their ego gets tarnished or, you know, they, they get beat out. They lose their starting position. It happens all the time. So I could see it very easily in wrestling to where you go from being a big fish in a, in a high school program you get to college, you get your butt whipped. You're not doing that. You're winning in college so now you're taking that ncaa reputation but you're still got to go to a bigger pond you're trying to make a mm -hmm. wrestling team so now you're probably wrestling guys in what age range does that count that you go to olympic trial you're an 18 year old you're 19 you might be close to 20 years old at this time who are you wrestling so your age group um in, in those olympic trials usually between 27 and 33 i think 35 is gonna be the max that most guys wrestle 
So, but yeah, it's usually that above 25 all the way up to the thirties. So now you're so, going against guys that are way bigger fishes, huh? Yeah. In fact, um, the guy that made the Olympic team that year was my assistant coach. So he was my college coach. Another one that we had there at the university of Iowa. He was the guy that made the Olympic team. Did you wrestle him in the so, trials? Um, I did not wrestle him in that trials. Nope. What was his name? A different guy, Doug Schwab. Doug Schwab. So, so what happens? At that point, you're trying to beat your college coach, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, what does this do? Does this, does this just drive you more now that you, when you don't make the Olympic team, you go now your summer goes into your junior year at Iowa, you're training, yep. you're staying in shape, you're walking around at 145 yep. to 148 pounds, you're wrestling right around the same weight. So what happens your junior year? Same results? Uh, junior year. Yeah. I kind of go on a tear. Uh, so just quick, brief summary. So that first year, like my second match in, I got caught and pinned by a kid named Darian Caldwell. And then I went on to win the national title in 08 and I didn't lose. And then I continued to go on and go on a tear and make it all the way to the second year. I hadn't lost all the way up until the national finals and then I'm wrestling Darian Caldwell again in the national finals. Is this and the same Darian Caldwell that's the Bellator champion? It is the same guy, yeah. Really? So that so For tell me this. Reason, every time that dude has a fight, our our wrestling match gets brought back up again. It's, they so show I'm it not, all they show it all the time. Yeah, it must be a good way to, I don't know, get clicks or something. But I, I know he's fighting when like my social media is getting blown up with like him and I. So you, you, he catches you and pins you your second match or your second duel going in, in your junior season. And then you wrestle him again. No, in, no, no, no. In my first season. Your so first season as a sophomore. Mm -hmm. So did you wrestle Caldwell? Did, did you wrestle him in the NCAAs or the Big Tens your, your sophomore year? Nope. We actually wrestled in an all-star duel. So... Uh, you had my sophomore year. I won the nationals. And then be before the season starts, they do like an all-star match. So they matched me and him up. I actually tech fought him during that time. So I beat him by 15 points. <laughs> and then and the season goes on and I rip through everybody. And then I have him again in the national finals and he beats me. What happened at you tech fall him a, not a couple months before. And then you, how, how do you yeah. lose? How do you lose in the NCAA finals? I'm, I'm saying, how did he beat you? Was he it just, points or was it pin or what? Yeah, he beat me. I mean, the quick version is one, he came out on a tear and scored some early points. And then there's two kind of critical points where um, I'm in on a takedown, like almost ready to score. And we're on the edge of the mat and he kind of just call it scrambles around and ends up on top. And that happens twice in two different points in the match, which basically swings the match there, you know? So how do you beat me? Out wrestle me. I mean, is that, is that simple? This is the final though. This is for the NCAA title. The finals. Yeah, so he's yeah. the champion now. So now you're runner up your junior year. I'm runner up my junior year. Yeah. So now you go into your summer freestyle wrestling in, in the summertime. Are you winning all throughout the summer in between your junior and senior year? Uh, yeah. So that summer I did better. I, I made the, uh, the world team finals. So I was actually, uh, well, actually, how did it end up that year? Well, basically U.S. Open. So at that senior level, I wrestled our U.S. Open and I was second place. So I went from the year before not placing to 
second place. So there was an improvement at that level. Is the U S open that you play second in between your junior and senior year, Brent, the same age group as the Olympic trials the year before? Yes. Same group of guys. Yep. All the guys wrestling to wrestle on the Olympic or world level. Yep. Wow. So at this time, are there turn extra motivated and didn't take any time off and went right back into training and, you know, to wrestle in that tournament. So are there tournaments at the same time, like you see today, like the beat the streets and all of these, the tournaments that is that going on too? Are you traveling to these as well? Yeah, those were going on. Yep. Those are, I wrestled in pretty much every beat the streets up until about 20 when I, I didn't wrestle in 2012's Beat the Street, but I wrestled in all of them up, in, up until I was Were you winning Beat the Streets at all? Uh, yeah, I, I won all my Beat the Street matches. Yep. Yep. So first one we did was on an aircraft carrier, and then we did a couple of them in Times Square, which was a lot of fun. And then we did one in, um, in like the lobby of Times, what is it? Uh, not Times Square, but uh, the station. Grand, like the Cent- Grand Central? Grand Central Station, yep. So now you go so, into your senior year, you play second in the worlds, the world, the U S open in the, on the world te- for the world team. Like the, yeah, the just caught the U S national U S nationals. And then you go into your senior year as an yeah. Iowa Hawkeye. Now you're more driven. Now, where is this Darian kid? Is he graduated or is he still around? No, he's still around. He's okay. still around. So what happens your uh, senior year? My senior year, I go through and I win all my matches. I actually lose in the big 10 finals. Same thing. I mean, I had a close match with the guy. I always had a close match with, I'd beaten him probably five times and we get in a scramble and he ends up on top in the end. It's pretty much how it ends up. Uh, so he wins that match. Uh, and then I go on to win the national finals and I, I, I end up beating that guy in the national finals. So, um, Darian, I think he may have gotten hurt or something happened. Like for some reason he just, so wait a minute, say the last part you beat who in the final. The guy who beat me at the Big Tens. You re, you redeem yourself in the NCAA's. Yeah, so I, I had uh, one loss every year. So I, I I got so after my whole career I had three losses once per year basically. And what year is this we're talking about? What year do you graduate from Iowa? What what's your last year wrestling there? Uh, two thousand ten. So, so two thousand and ten. And you've already made mention that you leave the sport as a competitor in two thousand sixteen. So now you spend the next six years yes. of your career world world team u.s team olympic trials again how does all how does all this end up this is when i start to know you and start to get to follow your career closer but take us through that part of your career um yeah so i end up making four world teams and in 2012 i was the olympic alternate so and then you come back to, to try to make the 16 olympic team as well yep yep and i do not make the team and what happens in 16 um, there, yeah, same thing that you can point to a lot of different things. Does it eat, does it eat, does it eat at you, Brett, to this day, Metcalf? Does it eat at you that you didn't do that? Does it bum you out that, that, that you went out on that note or how do you, with your mentality and your leadership now, what's your mentality yeah. about your career? Like, do you think about it often? Does it, does it pinch at you a little bit and piss you off sometimes? Or are you uh, sad no, or, or, or are you satisfied with your career? Yeah. Here's how I put it. And I, people ask me or my wife and I talk a lot about a lot, you know, like I don't lose sleep at night, you know? Um, I know that I trained and that I did everything right. And that I gave myself the very best opportunity that I could to be a world 
an Olympic champion. I know that I did deep down. So I don't have regrets from a point of view where I wish I could have done that or I wish I would have done this different because that doesn't exist. Now, do I wish I could have had the things I wanted? Yeah, sure. We all have that. But that doesn't mean I get to pout about it. Um, so, I mean, does anything itch at me? I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously growing up as a kid, you know, being an Olympian, winning an Olympic medal was something that you've always dreamed and thought about. But if I take a step back and I reflect on it, you know, um, did I fall short of that? Yeah. But can I, can I point at something or can I say that this is the reason why, or I, you know, like I just didn't do things right. No, I know I did things right. I know I did things the very, very best that I could have done. Um, so I, I don't lose sleep. I don't lose sleep at night. Um, wishing I would have done something different. Does that make sense? hundred percent. What is the reason why Brent Metcalf does not go, into the MMA world because this is 2005 to 2012 is like, this is the years of the Chuck Liddell's wrestler, Dan Henderson wrestler, yeah. Matt Hughes wrestler, Josh Krawcheck, right? You name it. These guys are wrestlers. They're making money in MMA. You come out of college. The MMA is bigger than it's ever been. The UFC is in 2016, yeah. 2016, the UFC is still owned by the same group, but it's, it's powerful, right? Why do you not make the decision to, to, to go into that revenue stream? Probably the simplest answer is nobody ever asked me if I wanted to. I mean, I could have probably went out on my own, but I, I had a goal in mind, you know, being an Olympic champion and I was just set on doing that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I don't know, had imagine were a, a UFC promoter and you would decide to call me one day and said, Metcalf, you seem like you're a mean son of a bitch. I think that this would be something that, that you, you know, you'd fit into. Well, you were though. Why did, how did they not find you? You were. I don't know. I, it, it was never given as an option. So I've never even given it to What's seconds. your, what's your, what, what is your, your overall wrestling record at this time in 2016? Do you have any idea from the time you started at nine years old? Are you, no, are you 400 and are you 400 and in, in, in maybe less than 10 losses? No, I probably got more than 10 losses. No, you said probably. Do you have more than 10 losses? You think in my whole life? Yes. Of course I well, do. Well, you only had three in, in Division One wrestling in college. And yeah, you had, you had two in the – Internationally, I'm wrestling 30 matches a year. I mean, I'm not winning every tournament at that level. Is it How many you know? losses do you think you have, Brent Metcalf? It can't be more than, many more than 10. It can't be – it's not that many. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of easy to add high school because high school was zero. And then let's say over summertime, there's maybe two or three – and college is another three. Okay. So there's six you know, losses. So there's, huh? Yeah. Between let's just say high school, less than 10 between like all wrestling and high school and college, that'd be fair. But once I got to that, I mean, you got to think I was wrestling senior level when I was in college, I wasn't placing at these tournaments, you know? So I'm losing twice per tournament that I go to when I was young. By that, I mean, I'm in college and I'm wrestling the Olympic level competitions. I'm not placing in those. So there's two losses there. I just can't I, believe, I can't figure out why you would not get asked to come and beat, to, to make a career in MMA. Are you a fighter? Can you throw hands? Do you have other combat, combat talents besides the traditional form of wrestling? I've got no idea. 
I've never hit a bag in my life. Well, I mean, I have hit a bag, but you know what I mean? Not in a structured workout. So it would have been a new, it would have been a learning experience. You might've uh, got into some jujitsu. You might've gotten some boxing. I had to, for sure. If I was going to do it, I've talked to some people before about this. Like um, people have said something like, Hey, would you take this fight? Would you do that? And I'm always like, listen, and again, just like my rest of the career, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. So you need to give me, I don't know what I need. Is it six months, eight months, 12 months? I need a prep time so that at least I can learn. As far as the jujitsu goes, I'd have to learn how to at least keep myself alive, right? Like it's just a base skill of knowing like, all right, this guy's trying to break my arm. He's trying to choke me out. Like get into these positions so I can at least stay alive in those positions, right? And then basic, you know, punching, you know, just boxing on my feet. Outside of that, I mean, I'd feel good enough with the rolling around thing and like, you know, body awareness and maybe, you know, fighting hand to hand combat. I have no problem with that. Uh, but it would just be the tricky things. Like I think I'm doing something and then next, you know, my elbow's dislocated. That's you know? how it was. I, I at, that's how it was at duck camp. If you can remember when I, when me and you <laughs> went at it, I kind of smoked you. I, do you remember that? Can you remember yeah, that? Part? Yeah, really <laughs> okay. Um, the, you've had, you've had an okay college career. I mean, you've had an okay wrestling career. Let's just leave it at that. It's, uh, we'll just say it's okay when really it's badass. Like you, you, you've had an unreal wrestling career. You go into coaching here at Iowa state, pretty average program for a couple years. This year seems to be like, wow, Iowa state's here. Like you guys are there. Like how hard has this been for you and your team of what could have been and this quarantine and this COVID-19 and coronavirus coming in, what's the mentality? Like, I know your mentality is go, 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 go. But when you see the effect it has on these athletes, that's detrimental. Like let's take Spencer Lee. We mentioned him. He wins the Hodge trophy. He's going in for another NCAA title and he's told, you can't wrestle. Does the wrestler is that that's considered a winter sport. Do they get, or that's considered a spring sport, right? I mean, a, no, a, a, a winter sport. So they don't get another year of eligibility. Is this correct? Just spring sport does. Yep. It'll be. It'll oh be. my gosh. How hard is this Brent on wrestlers right now? And in your team, is it, is it, am I, am I dramatizing it too much or was this truly hard to swallow? Um, it's hard for me to maybe be in their shoes. Cause I'm not in their shoes. Right. Um, I, 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 all I can do is reflect back on how hard it would have been for me. Um, and unbelievable because what's unique about the sport of wrestling, and the problem is, is that all sports are the same. At the end of the day, college athletics, you get to do your sport, um, because of college, right? It's like, you're, you're, you're blessed to be able to do your sport without the college or without the education, uh, your, your sport doesn't exist. So having that perspective or that lens makes it clear as to why you wrestled 99% of your season they're not going to give you a whole nother season back just because you get to wrestle four matches at the end of the year, you know? Um, but what's unique about wrestling compared to let's say basketball or football, like I talk, I've talked to some of those um, people in my life that were in that is, you know, imagine a football player. Like if you told a football player, like, Hey, you don't get to go to your bowl game, your senior year. Yeah. Like that would suck. I mean, everyone likes to go to the bowl, but it's not too big a deal, you know? Same thing, basketball, you know, you tell a basketball player, Hey, you know, the NCAA tournament's a big deal, but it's like, eh, that's all right. Because the season is very, very important. You know, there's a lot of weight put on the season compared to wrestling. You could tell a wrestler, you don't get to wrestle one match all season, but you get to go to the NCAA tournament. Boom. 
No question. Sure. When given the opposite, which is you get to wrestle all season, but not go to the NCAA tournament. Cause we're judged very clearly by your NCAA tournament result, right? No one, the end of the day, the record books don't really show that you won all your dual matches that, you know, like in, in wrestling, we just, we don't put a whole lot of weight and importance on those things. So that's a great that's way to put it. Artist is that that's your goal. You know, the, your goal is to win the national tournament and you get one shot to do it and it's in March. Um, so yeah, it's hard on these guys. I think um, what's unique, not unique, but you know, our team specifically is we are a rising program. Um, we, we had, you know, we've had, we had ups and downs all year. We had guys with injuries. We had, you know, had to fill the lineup and stuff. So we really didn't have that great of a, a regular season as far as maybe expectations, but we had kind of set ourselves up at the end of the year, like we should, um, to have our guys kind of fire on all cylinders. And we had a really good big 12 tournament. Um, our guys went into this national tournament, got themselves some good seeds, which put themselves in good positions um, to place or win the tournament. You know, you get all the way there and then you pull the, pull the string on it. And what is ought to be tough from, from my point of view is uh, we're trying to show not only the world and recruits, the growth of this program, but even to our own guys, right? Cause we're selling them. Um, let's just say a belief we're, we're, we're pitching them like, Hey guys, believe in us, um, do this, do this. Cause it's going to get us to the promised land. Right. Yep. Well, they never, you know, it's nice at the end of the end of the season to have success. So those guys can, it helps them buy in, right. It helps their teammates see the adjustment that one guy made and the success that he had. Right. So that helps to continue to grow our program. Well, without that, it was kind of like, man, it was an underwhelming season a little bit, you know, where we had a lot of ups and downs and we didn't really get to show off um, what we had at the end, you know, which is, a, it, it, I, I'm not too concerned about it, but it is just too bad as far as the growth of our program. Um, and that I think we were in a great position to, to really take another step. Like you said, to, to continue to take another step in the right direction. But you had, you had, you had at least one wrestler that was looking like was going to be an NCAA champion. Yeah. How is yeah, it? He was the second seed or the third seed. Well, yeah, I think he was the third seed, but what's that? Is it affected him big time to not be able to go in there and do it? Um, or I know you can't put yourself in his shoes, but have you talked to him at all? Yeah. I mean, it hurts. It hurt all these guys to the, to, I mean, it's, it's tough. You just, you got everything. I mean, we asked these guys, you know, think about it. We asked them to live and breathe wrestling. You say academics is important. That, that's your priority, but everything in your life, whether it's your nutrition, your sleep, your um, time that you hang out with your girlfriend, all these things, your life is molded around wrestling, right? Everything you're doing, you're doing to help your wrestling. We're asking them to make that sort of commitment to the sport and to themselves. And then you just, you pull out their reward, you know? Um, so yeah, it's hard. He, um, the, the individual you're talking about, uh, he's got a great family. He's got a great head on his shoulders. Um, he's very, very strong in his faith. So I think that especially in these times, that sort of, that sort of stuff can really help you get through when you have, because he's a senior, right? No, he's a freshman. Oh, he's a freshman. Okay. Okay. So he's got, he's got time. He's got more time. Yep. Um, but when you have a clear understanding of, um, and you're not selfish about me, 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 and you realize that you're a part of a plan and that there's things like this happen that you can't explain. I think that faith can really help you get through this. So 
as a coach in the NCAAs, are you satisfied with the level of refereeing and officiating? Is it hard to referee and officiate a college wrestling match? The new rules are coming in. Some get taken out. Then they got to learn the new ones. There's, there's different things every season. Is that a big part of the match and, and how it affects the match? Because a lot of times you hear somebody like Dana White say, you don't want to leave it in the judge's hands. You want to knock the guy out, tap the guy out, may, you know, get, get her or him out of there, right? You don't want it to go to a unanimous or a split decision. Same as wrestling, I would think, but you're scoring, you got points, but it's all, that's, that's all subjective up to that referee. Do you want to go in there and just stick to, I know, obviously you do, you, that's a dumb question, but are you satisfied as a coach with the the level of that? Because in baseball, you hear all the time, you're asking a guy that's not good enough to be a baseball player, to be a guy that's, you know, leaving his mark on that game and the pitches and the outs at the bases and everything. Um, So you really, there, there, it's a big responsibility. I don't know if I'm making sense in my question, but I would think that there's a lot of pressure on a college referee when it comes to being on his A game all the time. And are you satisfied as a whole with what you see in college wrestling officiating? Um, Is that a stupid question to even ask? No, it's not a stupid question, but I mean, I think most college coaches should give you the same answer, which is that not criticize them. Um, Here's the deal is I try not to criticize even during our matches, these refs too much, because I don't believe just in general, I don't believe there's a single ref out there that wants to screw you. I don't think that there, maybe there is, but I don't think that there are people out there that want to do your program harm and they want to screw you over. Okay. I think that there's mistakes that happen. There's no doubt. Um, There's guys that make more mistakes than others. I think what gets really tough when you're talking about wrestling is and it could be this way with other sports as well, but a big thing in wrestling is stalling, right? Well, stalling is just a, it's just an opinion pretty much, right? Uh, there are some clear cut rules, but even, you know, we have some step up rules now, even those rules allow some interpretation of how you thought that guy stepped out, whether he stepped out intentionally or whether he was pushed out. So um, when you do that, you inherently are going to have clashing, right? Because I'm going to believe one thing and they're going to believe a different thing. Um, so that's what makes it so tough with these refs is basically the stalling thing, which is they're going to see one thing. I'm going to see one thing. I could make the same statement, which is, Hey, I've been wrestling my whole life. I know what stalling is. Stalling's pretty easy to see. I know when my guy's stalling. I know when that guy's stalling. Uh, we all know it. it's not very hard to see. So when you're, when it's happening in a match, it gets frustrating when you're like, what is this guy doing? Like we all, you know, everyone here knows what's, you know, what the right call is, or that's how it feels at least. Um, so am I happy with the level? I think that there's some, again, we could tweak and they continue to tweak. Um, the more that we can take judgment calls out of their hands, the less mistakes of that can be made. Right. Cause I don't think these guys want to decide either. I mean, there's some been some big matches last year in the NCAA finals, for instance, decided by a call that a ref makes. He doesn't want it. Any ref I've ever talked to, you think he wants to be the reason that you won the match? No, he wants you to win your own match. He just wants to sit back in the background and disappear, you know? Um, so the more that we can take it out of their hands and make it clear cut black and white, I think the better but I don't know if that's on them or not, or whether it's on training or, you know, a lot inconsistency is a problem. You know, one, one ref thinks that this rule is interpreted this way. Another one thinks it's interpreted that way. Um, 
So the more consistency we can have across the board, the better too. So I don't think it's the biggest problem. You should be a, you should be a politician, Metcalf. That was really politically correct. <laughs> you need to run for mayor. Um, how important, when you talked a, a while back, and I, I know we're getting close to the end of this, but we're going to do this again because I love wrestling and I love learning from you. Yeah. <clears throat> you mentioned there was barely a magazine. There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. There was no Facebook. You didn't even know who Dan Gable was. How important is that aspect yeah. of today's sport, of, of getting the word out there, and how important is flow wrestling to wrestling as a whole to show? Because it's – it's addicting, right? And I I love flow wrestling. So how important is what the guys at flow wrestling are bringing to the table and, and their mission to get wrestling out there and to showcase it in the right light? Are you happy with that element of the game right now? I think that let's just call it wrestling media because five years ago, flow wrestling was all that exists, but now there's so much out there. I mean, with the, I'll call it an invention of a rock fan. Uh, you pretty much anybody can be, a version of flow wrestling, right? Anybody can have their own show and their own talk show and their own reviews and their own rankings and, um, and everything. So I think wrestling and media has really taken off has really blown up. And that does nothing other than help our sport. It one, it pumps attention in, in, into our athletes and in our, in our sport. It pumps revenue into our sport. All these people are also getting sponsorships to help support their, their media programs. Um, so yeah, it's been great. But Flow Wrestling was the was the the first dog to kind of take on wrestling and really bring it to another level. And it's it's crazy to think, you know, I mean, think about the first time I ever went overseas, no one will ever have known what happened. Right? So when I wrestled overseas, we were in Russia in some dump hole place. We were wrestling in a barn that only had two two sides on the barn, and it was unbelievable, one of the toughest tournaments I wrestled in. And then we went down to uh Dagestan which is like a very dangerous caucus region of Russia. Um, went down there, we wrestled out in the middle of a field and I wrestled a two-time world champion and a future Olympic champion in the middle of this grass field. And no one will ever know those results because there's no coverage. There's no, you, no one would have ever seen any of those matches. They were unbelievable. What that were they? In Russia. It was unbelievable. It was awesome. And just the whole scene, they had the president of the region, the president. So that would be equivalent to like, I don't know, our vice president being at a wrestling match, you know, no one will ever know those because they couldn't see it. They could be, well, that's what flow wrestling did. They changed it. So now when there's those events, we can log on to our computer and we can watch it no matter what remote space in the, the world it's in, we can see it, you know, and there's record of it. And that's something that's really cool uh, from a spectator's point of view. And it helps build interest and it helps tell those stories, you know, so what were the results in that grassy field in that match? That those grassy fields. Well, the first match I lost to the two-time world champ. Again, I'm a little young kid. So I, I went to this when I was, so there's an eligible year, right? So I had my red shirt year and then I had ineligible. And then I had my, what would you call my uh, sophomore, right? My red shirt sophomore year, which is my, my third year in school actually. Yeah. So, so I had one red shirt ineligible. Then I wrestled. So during that ineligible year, I went over there and um, there was a two-time world champ. I lost by like a point or two, which I thought was great. And then I got screwed. I lost to this kid named Sahin. He, he ended up winning the Olympics in 2008. And, you know, this is a whole nother backstory, but me going over there was huge because I knew how good these guys were. And for instance, the guy that was the Olympian, and I took the guy down and they just 
talk about fair arrest. They just say no. <laughs> no you did. I'm like, yes, I did. I just took him down. No, no, you didn't. You know, so they just screw you. But either way, I'm going from that to my college season in 2008. And I'm like, I can, I can win this tournament. I just lost by a point to a two-time world champ and I should have beat the Olympic champ. Like I'm at that level. So for me, as far as like mentality and how important it is, like your belief in yourself, you know, when I stepped on the mat, I was like, I got this. No if I can, I can do this. And we're seeing that now um, as a, these younger crops of kids that are coming through who are competing at the international level and having success, they're winning world titles before they even get into college. And then they're getting into college and they're, they're running the table on guys. And I, I believe it's because, you know, once you believe that you're at a certain level, you know, and it, it, I, I think that that translates to you, you come to college and you already believe you. So you already believe that you're, you're the best guy. You're not, you're not wondering if, you know, I, I could see how huge it could be just to go over there, but it, the, the, the power, you know, the confidence that that would give you. I mean, these guys are the, the best in the world. And when you think wrestling, you think Russia, you think Iran, you think those countries of, uh, you know, you don't think of Australia, but I'm not saying that you can't like, I don't even think of Canada as a wrestling country, even though I know they have some good wrestlers. I think of America, Iran, Russia. Um, and, and I'm not even ingrained in the sport like you are. So to go over there in wrestling's backyard, which I guess Rome would be wrestling's backyard. I don't know, but, um, to go over there in wrestling's backyard where these world champions are and to go into a, a, a atmosphere like that, it's just so gladiator. It's so braveheart. Like that's the picture yeah. you're painting to me, but so let's end it on a couple just uh, questions without a, with that. You don't need to explain to me a lot. Who's your, who is the best college wrestler of all time? And if that's a dumb question, you can't answer it. Who is your favorite college wrestler of all time besides yourself? Favorite college wrestler of all time. Because I don't think you could say who's the best college wrestler. I mean, you could say Kale. Yeah. I mean, Kale had an unreal, but John Smith had an unreal. I don't know. Yeah. I don't I don't know how to even do that because of the weight divisions and all that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick one that most guys would know. I'll say that my favorite college wrestler since I've been in college. How about that? Because okay. you can for forever. Would probably be David Taylor. Wow. That, I was just going to ask you about DT. Okay. David. Yeah, the amount of points that he put up as a spectator outside looking in, I, I always respected the guy. David Love. Taylor's coming on the podcast next week. I watched Sweet. his I watched his Penn State career. Uh, his yeah. injury, just come back from his injury, qualified for the Olympic team. Um, an unfreaking believable wrestler. I got turned on to David Taylor probably. I don't know, maybe a sophomore year watching the NCAAs because I, I record them and watch them like 10 times a year, right? I just keep watching yeah. them and wishing I could do that. But he yeah. is a stud, right? So I I, I, um, I have him. He's coming on here next week to talk about his career and the Olympics coming up and, and, and what he's done. How good is Jordan Cox with what he did last year without having a point scored against him in all those major tournaments? How good of a wrestler is Jaden Cox? I'm sorry, I, I called him Jordan. Yeah, he's good, man. He's good. <laughs> he's, is, he the um, is he the best in the world right now? I don't. I mean, here's the thing. It's, it's hard for me to make judgments like that when I haven't seen the guy compete in the last three months. You know what I mean? Like if I'm not intimately there, I'm not like around him. I can't tell you he's the best right now. And that I can't, I'm not going to make a projection that he's going to win this, this or that. Cause he's gone up. I think he, him and Kyle Snyder are going to have to wrestle. So oh, he's that, going to heavyweight. Uh, well, there's the step down from heavyweight. Okay. So is it called, 197 or 210 or whatever the weight class Would is. I be in it? And I love Kyle Snyder. I love watching him wrestle, but I'm going to go out on a limb. And if I'm, 
you tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I take Jaden every day in that match. Now, the strength of Snyder is amazing. Day, but I'd take him, sure. You wouldn't take him every day? Not every day, no. Because Snyder is so strong, but Jaden is so athletic, it seems. Like, he has unreal yeah, – un, he's unorthodox as heck. When I go there. Yeah, I'd go there. Is he unorthodox? Uh, I just think he's, yeah, like you say, he's an athlete, unbelievable athlete, and his – and he works hard, too. That's the biggest thing about these guys, which is unique about wrestling, too, is – being an athlete isn't enough. It doesn't matter what your, 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 whatever your, your 40 time is. It doesn't matter how much weight you can lift. You know, you've still got to have a lot of heart. You got to have a lot of guts and determination. And some of these best guys, we mentioned Jordan Burroughs. I trained side by side with him for five or six years after college. And he was one of the toughest working guys I've been around. So on top of his talent, which everyone always talks about, but on top of that, you didn't win a sprint against him unless you were tackling. You know, he didn't put his head on the mat and quit during wrestling workouts and just say, ah, this doesn't count. No, every single rep counted for him. So I, I have a lot of respect for a lot of those guys and Jordan being one of them because I was maybe in the trenches with him, you know. Do you still get to stay in touch with some of them? Uh, yeah, I don't a lot, but I've got Jordan's number. I guess if I wanted to reach out and say what's up, say what's up. So. He, he seems to be the one that has become world famous in wrestling. He has, uh, yeah. He, he's got an approach. He, he highlights his wife and his family and his son a lot. He, he was, uh, voted the, like one of the best physiques in in all of sports last year. I don't remember who that was through. Was that a sports illustrated deal? Do you remember that? Uh, he was in sports illustrated thing where, yeah, where they do like the naked, you know, where they cover up the stuff. Yeah. But he was also, he was also voted like one of the best physiques in all of athletics in the world, which is, which is awesome. He did it right. He, he, he came out at the right time. He definitely tells his story, uh, the right way to promote himself. And his, as far as I know it, I think that his agent is like one of the Williams sisters agents. So he's got people working for him that are putting him in position to succeed, you know? So, so let's bring this full circle. Now you're at a point in your life to where you're on the other side of it, to where you're that dad driving a kid to practice. Yeah. You, you had that mentality your whole life that you wanted to dismantle yeah. somebody, embarrass them, absolutely put them into harm's way and painful, and then shake their hand and say, just kidding, buddy, after you whip their ass. <laughs> do you look at your son and say, you don't want to do that. You don't want these ears. You don't want the, you don't want this lifestyle of just being beat up every day and, 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 and the bumps and the bruises and the pulled muscles and the making the weight and the, and tra- you know, all of the stuff that goes into being a wrestler, a wrestling champion champion a badass do you look at him and say you don't want that or are you letting him figure it out on his own do you make him sit down every night and watch your highlight video do you <laughs> how how does he listen to eye of the tiger every night with his dad working out in the garage and doing crunchies how does it work now for brett matt caffle end it taking it full circle now here's that yeah. here's that kid that you were at eight or nine coming back from your bike race and saying i want to look like that guy with that mask on and all those muscles yeah yeah um uh, to me, I, I put it in him. I think a, a lot of times we talked about this earlier. We talk about a lot of these high level athletes or pro athletes. They don't push their kids into things. And I think that most of the time, because these successful athletes know that where it comes from is you. The success comes from you being driven. And it has to come from you. And if it comes from being pushed into it, it usually doesn't work. Most of the times it's not going to work. So I'm the same way with him. And then I expose him to a lot of different sports. I've got him involved in a lot of different things. Um, deciding when I, I for sure want to introduce him to wrestling, but it's going to have to come from him. 
And in the same way, it's going to have to come from his coaches. You know, if I introduce him into wrestling, I'm not going to be teaching him how to wrestle because that's not my job. My job is to be his dad. Um, so I'm going to, if I if, and when I do it, I'm going to put him in a program and it's the coach who's going to run the show. I'm not going to run the show. Um, and I guess to, to get to the nitty gritty of it though, is you want to pass down your, your passion, your dread, you want to pass down maybe your mentality, right? The same way that you want your, your kid to be a good person. You know, I, I, I always think too, like, well, if he's going to, whatever sport he's going to do, I still want him to have these set moral codes. Let's call them that. Right. So like, if you're going to do something, you do it your best. If, uh, you know, that sort of stuff. So it would be interesting to see, um, whether as a parent, that's something that I'm able to stay back off. You know, let's say I've seen him, he's quitting or he's, he's not doing his best. I can tell whether I'm able to stay backed off and let the coach do his job, you know, which is what I think needs to happen or, you know, finding that balance where he can be a mentor as a parent, uh, to continue to teach your kid, um, like good life skills. Cause at the end of the day, at least how I look at it, I don't care if he wrestles in college. I don't care if he's an Olympic wrestling champion. I don't care what he does. I just want him to have the passion for something that something could also be piano. You know, it doesn't matter to me Heck yeah. for something and pursue it with all your heart. And that would be kind of my, I, I honestly think you should be either a campaign director, a campaign manager, or just write some speeches. I, you're very well spoken, Brent. Like I'm, I'm very happy that I did this. It, it's been a pleasure. We're going to do it again. That's Brent Metcalf, yeah. Iowa state yes. wrestling. I can't I'm wait to do it again, man. Killing ducks, except you're going to have to get me down in front of ducks this time. I know. Gosh, um, we're going to do it again. <laughs> I promise you, I'm going to bring you out somewhere to where I have a little bit of control on the migration and we plan it a little bit different. I want Brent, to get in that. I want to do, uh, I want to do, uh, one of the woods hunt, the flooded timbers. Yeah. Come on. Unbelievable. We'll handle it. I heard it's unbelievable. We'll handle it. I want to come, I'm going to come to it. I want to come to a duel this year. I want to go behind the scenes a little bit, get in the room and just live in your shoes for a day and, and see all that. We've been threatening it. This coronavirus has kind of got us all wondering when the end is, but let's plan that for next year. And, uh, I'll, uh, I'll come hang out, maybe go to the big tens with you or hang out and, um, something. Yeah, let's do it, man. All right, I'm going to tell David Taylor next week what you said. He's going to love hearing that. That's freaking awesome. I had no idea that you were going to say that. I just, uh, it's, yeah. it, I'm a big fan of his too. So uh, I'm a fan of the guys that like to score points. Yeah, was- he's active boy. All right, that's Brent Metcalf, Iowa State Wrestling. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Please continue to support the partners and sponsors that support us. Thank you to Mountain Ops for bringing you this episode of Iowa State Wrestling with my boy Brent Metcalf. What a career, man. Congratulations, brother. Thanks. Signing out. This is Chad Belding. Tom, hit that button. This is Leith Lofton. What you going to do when the money's all gone?